a, a series from Acts 2, just to refresh us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to remind us of what God did and what he is still doing today. And so I, I want to see how this passage applies over the next four weeks to Grace Church. Acts was written by Luke. It's a continuation of his gospel as he recounts the life of the early church in Acts 1 all the way through Acts 28. And he writes in Acts 1 to, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And then he goes on to explain and to describe in narrative the life, the beginning, the excitement, the challenges of the early church. Challenges, excitement, life that we experience even today. It is the definitive work on the spread of the Christian faith in the early church and in its life. And it's the place where we can trace the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who have put their faith in Christ. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, says this. He says, The gospel tell us of Christ crucified and risen. Acts speaks of Christ ascended and exalted. The gospels model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man. Acts models the Christian life as lived out by the imperfect man. I love that statement. What a, what a wonderful contrast. And yet, it, even as it is life lived out by imperfect men and women, it is a life that is lived out in response to who God is. It is a life lived out empowered by the Holy Spirit who has been given Luke's gospel tells us what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts goes further. And while on earth, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. While on earth, he gave, us, he gave the offer of salvation. And now in heaven, he continues the work. And he continues it through his church, through a group of imperfect people. He continues it through grace, church. John Stott writes this. He said, Luke's first two verses are therefore extremely significant. It is no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These regard their founder as having completed his ministry during their lifetime. Luke says, Jesus only began his. True, he finished the work of atonement, yet that end was also the beginning. For after his resurrection, ascension, and gift of the Spirit, he continued his work, first and foremost through the unique foundation ministry of his chosen apostles, and subsequently through the post-apostolic church of every period and place, us. This, then, is the kind of Jesus Christ we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. The Jesus of history began his ministry on earth. The Christ of glory has been active through his spirit ever since, according to the promise to be with his people always to the very end of the age. Oh, I love that. That Christ, Jesus Christ, is still at work. And even in this, the 
uh, next month as we talk about the resurrection, as we talk about his ascension, as we talk about the end of John's gospel, we do still come to this place for more than a year as we've focused our attention on John's gospel. We've learned much about the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. But Acts tells us even more. Throughout his gospel, John has spoken much about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has spoken much about what it means to be his disciple and to experience his abundant and eternal life. And Acts continues that story. Acts brings us further as we see Jesus fulfilling his promise from John 14 that he would send his spirit, that the spirit would come. And the spirit did come. The Holy Spirit came and the church was inaugurated. He came and the church was empowered. He came and the people of God, imperfect though they were and are today, still need his power to live for Christ. They still need his power to be a blessing on earth that God's people, the blessing that God's people were always meant to be. The blessing that Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8 where he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The book of Acts. The book of Acts is all connected to that one verse. And the early church, the early church understood what they were there for. And Grace Church, we must be able to do the same. What we see in the early church in this passage are the foundations of being a missional church. Let me read from Acts chapter 2. And if you would, look at verse 37, starting in verse 37. Peter had just preached in Jerusalem. And Luke records this. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He is speaking in that verse of us. Mostly Gentiles, but future generations to all who the Lord calls. All who are far off. 2,000 years later, that is us. That if we respond to the gospel for the forgiveness of our sins, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as Luke writes in 1.8, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I think those words, crooked generation, have more meaning to us today than they've ever had. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 
thousand souls. And then here's our focus this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we, we submit ourselves to the authority of your scriptures this morning. Lord, we submit our hearts to hear from you, to listen to you speaking to us through your inspired word. And Father, I pray for all my dear friends here at Grace Church that their hearts would be receptive this morning. And in that receptivity, they would experience fresh grace and a refreshing from you. Lord, I pray simply that you would help me to articulate the truth of your word to the folks that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of amazing things happened to get to this point in Acts 2. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Fearful of their enemies, these disciples are hiding in a room with the doors locked. And suddenly the promise of John 14 is fulfilled and the Holy Spirit comes. Tongues of fire appear. Tongues of praise now resound. Jerusalem is taken aback. Confusion comes. Accusations are hurled about these men being drunk. Conviction settles on many. And conversions occur with over 3,000. But the day is not over. After repenting and coming to faith in a city filled with enemies where they were hiding in a room, they now with new boldness begin baptizing these converts. History records that they were baptizing them in the pool of Siloam, in the pool of Bethesda, and any place that they could find water. Luke goes on to tell us that these new Christians are then added to the existing church, a church defined by their devotion to Christ, a devotion that is so attractive and so powerful and so unique. More continue to be saved, as we read in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke describes here four elements that are necessary today, as necessary today as they were 2,000 years ago. Devotion to teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the breaking of bread or communion, and devotion to prayer. And this morning, we're going to focus in on the first part, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, Acts 2.42 through 47 is not a formula for church life, but a description 
of what the church looks like when its members are filled with the Holy Spirit and immersed in the gospel of God's grace. What a description it is. Redemption has been won for these people as for us by Jesus. And now this new church is breathing the air of God's grace. And they are exhaling a life devoted to the teaching of Scripture. Exhaling a life devoted to fellowship with one another. Exhaling a life devoted to communion, remembering the death of Christ. And exhaling a life devoted to prayer, to communing with God. Luke, in one paragraph here, is simply giving us his state of the church in its earliest days. Now, the word devotion defines what he means here. The literal Greek means continually devoted. There was this ongoing devotion. The expositor's commentary speaks of a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. That's what devotion is. A steadfast, continual, single-minded fidelity to a certain course. A certain course, which is the path of life in Jesus Christ. The narrow path. So my proposition this morning is the early church's devotion is not mystical super or super spiritual life unattainable by most, but a practical life lived together in community and possible to all who belong to Christ. I'll read that again. The early church's devotion is not a mystical, super spiritual life unattainable by most, but a practical life lived together in community and possible to all who belong to Christ. We want to have a title for this message. It's simply entitled Devotion, Part 1. Now, Acts 1.8 is the force behind how the church practically lives out its faith together. This, this kind of life and the kind of church that is a witness for Christ. It's why we exist. It's why we're here. We enter this building each Sunday with a view to looking outward. We enter this building each Sunday with a, with a gospel centrality that not just applies to a gospel-centered life in the life of a believer, but a gospel-proclaiming life that goes beyond the walls of this building. That others might be here sitting in these seats Rejoicing over Christ changing their lives. He begins in 242a, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Luke tells us they were first a learning church. And verses 43 through 47 provide more detail on what that devoted church looks like. And it helps us to understand each area of devotion beginning with devoted to teaching, to the apostolic teaching. What exactly was the apostles' teaching? 
It wasn't the Gospels because there were no written biographies of Jesus at that time. It wasn't the epistles since they had yet to have been authored. What then did they teach? What was this apostolic teaching? Most scholars would agree it would have been the Old Testament. It would have been the sayings of Jesus as the apostles recalled them. The Sermon on the Mount. The final conversations in the upper room prior to his crucifixion. These are the words that the early church listened to. What are the character qualities of a learning church? I want to talk about three this morning. Three character qualities of a church that is devoted to teaching, to apostolic teaching. And for us, apostolic teaching is the written word of God. It is the canon. It is the completed canon of scripture. It is for us, this is the apostolic teaching that we are devoted to. Under the influence, first of all, a learning church seeks to know Christ. A learning church seeks to know Christ. Under the influence of the Spirit, believers were hungry for God's Word. Kent Hughes said, being filled with the Spirit and being filled with God's Word go together. There's no separation. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God's Word. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babes... Long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of God's word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, that you may grow in your understanding of the gospel, that you may grow in your appreciation of the gospel, you may grow in your awe of the gospel. That you may understand and know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Today we have the completed scriptures. It's an awesome privilege for us and a sober responsibility for us to hold this completed work in our hands. This is the inspired word of God. These words are to be life to us. These words are to teach us about who Jesus is, what he has done, how we can know him and how we can live for him. The purpose of preaching, the purpose of Bible study, the purpose of scripture memory, the purpose of personal study is to this end that you may know Jesus Christ and that you may know what he has done that you may know him crucified and risen from the dead. So many passages implore us and exhort us and encourage us and challenge us to love God's word, to love this, this endeavor of knowing Christ, of growing in our knowledge of Christ. 2 Peter 1, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He's forgotten the gospel. That's why we are devoted to knowing Christ. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you. And here's the, here's the goal. Here's the prize. There will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Peter says this. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I intend to always remind you of these qualities. That is why a church is devoted to teaching. That is why a church is devoted to God's word. That is why a church is devoted to knowing Christ. That we don't fall away from Christ. We don't fall away from the gospel. We don't become nearsighted to the point of being blind, and then we become ineffective and unfruitful. But we pursue knowing Christ through the teaching of God's word. And there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. Same thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 or 15, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Paul is reminding them of the gospel. 2 Timothy 3, a very familiar passage to you. Starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. A learning church is a church that seeks to know Christ. Secondly, a learning church seeks to build community. What is attractive and unique and powerful about the early church's devotion to the apostolic teaching is is that Luke describes it as corporate. He doesn't describe it as individual. He describes it as corporate. The gospel brought them all together, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, men and women, in, in Acts Back into Acts in 2.39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The gospel, as we read in Ephesians, brought about a unity. Where people were enemies. Jew and Gentile. Rich and poor. Racial reconciliation, black and white, it didn't matter. There was this unity that the gospel brought. And as God's word is taught, and as we studied through Ephesians, we learned about the work that Christ had done in every human heart. To be reconciled, not only to God the Father, but reconciled to one another. They were together as a church, as Luke writes, and they had all things in common. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And actually that word together in the Greek is actually the same word that Luke used in verse 42 for devoted. They were devoted to be together. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Luke implies that they put their highest priority on gathering together to sit under the ministry of God's apostolic teachers then. And today to sit under the ministry of pastors who preach the word of God to you. To instruct you in the words of Christ. And I believe that Luke mentions this first in his description of their devotion, their, their corporate devotion to apostolic teaching, to scripture. I believe Luke mentions it first because it's of the highest priority. That God's people build community together first and foremost by sitting here on Sunday morning. They sat and listen together to hear about Jesus and his gospel. They learn together how to bring that gospel to bear upon their lives and to bear upon the lives of others. Brothers and sisters, for us, Sunday morning is our priority. It is our time to meet together to be taught God's word. We gather to hear God's word preached to us, myself included. 
We make this day of the week our highest priority. In the life of the church, there's no higher priority than the preaching event that instructs us in the truth of the gospel. That reminds us of all that Christ has done and all of who God is. It safeguards us from doctrinal error so that our faith may not be shipwrecked. We believe when we come on a Sunday morning, we come with this faith, we come with this hope, we come with this understanding that when we, when we open the Bible and we hear God's words preached, we believe that God is speaking. Yeah, it's my voice. But it's God's Spirit working through this this book into your hearts. The Spirit bringing illumination, bringing clear understanding, bringing conviction, bringing faith. We believe God is speaking to us when His Word is preached. We trust that the Holy Spirit is doing today what he did 2,000 years ago. When we listen to the preached word, we should be awed. And awe came upon every soul. We should be awed because we hear the creator of the universe speaking personally to us. Gathering together as a community of believers to listen and to apply God's word has very practical application for us here at Grace Church. God's word taught to us and then dwelling in us will have a profound impact on the way we live life together. Because God's word, when dwelling in us, shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we act. It shapes the way we live. It shapes the way we treat one another. It shapes the way we speak to one another. It shapes the way we love one another. It shapes the way we live together. Colossians three sixteen and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness is referring to thankfulness to one another. Just one verse earlier in 3.15, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And be thankful. Now that peace of Christ is not this peace that we have that, oh, I'm at peace with God and I'm at peace in my soul and my life because God and life is good. No, he's talking about relational peace in that verse. And when he talks about let it rule your hearts, the word rule literally means umpire. Let it umpire your heart. Let the peace that we have, the unity we have with one another. And how does that unity come? It comes by sitting under the learning of God's word together, the teaching of scripture together. It comes. And then when you learn, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
and you teach one another and you admonish one another in all wisdom and in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you are thankful for one another and you are thankful to God in your heart. And then whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brothers and sisters, a learning church seeks to build community with one another by sitting under the preaching of God's word. And it is why this moment, this time, this preaching event is so crucial to our life together as a local church. And then finally, a learning church seeks to witness for Christ. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I know for some pastors that would be a dream. I think for this pastor that would be a nightmare. <laughs> we don't have enough chairs for 3,000 souls. And then Luke goes on to describe life in the early church. And then he, he, theologians call this an inclusio. It's sort of the, the, it's like the bookends of a passage. Look at the, the bookend in verse 47. And the Lord added more to their number day by day, those who were being saved. 3,000, from 120 to 3,000, and then added more and more. It's just the beginning. As a result of apostolic teaching, there was this sense of awe that came over every soul. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were being done in and throughout Jerusalem. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The, the world around them was looking at this once ragtag group of people with this once alienated group of people, Jew and Gentile, and they're seeing them having all things together in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as any had need and day by day continuing and attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God's powerfully working among them. And it is communicating something to the world around them. And then many are being saved. And it is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. That they are being witnesses in Jerusalem. And eventually they are scattered and they not having favor with all the people. Just a few chapters later in Acts, we see Stephen stoned. We see Saul coming on to the scene, ravaging the church. We see these people scattered. And yet as they're scattered, the witness goes out. Philip, the evangelist, meets with an Ethiopian eunuch who comes to faith in Christ. Paul Oh, Paul gets saved and the world is turned upside down. And the witness leaves Jerusalem and goes into Judea and Samaria 
and eventually to the ends of the earth. I mean, think about it, my friends. Jerusalem is halfway around the world from here. And the gospel is here. It came to the ends of the earth here. The preaching of God's word, the preaching of the gospel always has two intended effects. To safeguard the faith for those who know Christ and to bring to faith those who do not know Christ. The preaching event, this time together, the preaching of God's word is designed for us our church, Grace Church, to grow in our knowledge of Christ, for us to grow in our building community together, for us to grow in our gospel proclamation together that the world might be witness to of all that Jesus has done. Now, as always, we must ask the the text this, what claim upon my life is this passage making? What is my takeaway from this passage this morning? And it's simply asking, are you devoted to God's word? And it is not, it's not a corrective question because you are faithfully here each Sunday. You are devoted to God's word, but are you growing in your knowledge of Christ? Sunday morning when we gather together is not just another day of the week. It is our day to gather together, to unite together under the authority of God's word, to unite together, to be taught so that we might be equipped, that we might know Christ and him crucified. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul writes in Philippians. Secondly, am I committed to building my church by faithfully gathering together to hear the word preached? It's okay to miss a Sunday, it's not wrong to miss a Sunday, but it is wrong to continually miss Sundays. We gather together to sit under the authority of God's word so that we can be built together. And we cannot be built together if we are not faithfully here on Sundays. And then finally, am I taking the gospel that's been given to me to those outside my church? Am I fulfilling this Acts 1.8 being a witness? Because I have been filled with the Spirit. I am empowered by the Spirit. And my community, my church family community, although existing here, my church family community is intended to grow by adding those from out there. Brothers and sisters, what a high and holy privilege we have to live in a day and age when God's Word is fully 
completed and allowing us to, to study and to know Christ, to, to study and to understand how we can build unity together and to study and know how we can proclaim the gospel together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your inspired word. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds by your spirit to understand this word that we might grow in our love and knowledge of you. Lord, I pray this day that you would make Grace Church a witnessing church that boldly, faithfully, passionately proclaims the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.